Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things you should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about how we are freezing our asses off and Canada needs to get their weather under control because it is drunk and in our yard and I do not like this. See, this is my fault because a couple weeks ago I said, hey, remember when we used to get snow, like packing snow, and it was cold because I think it was 70 that day? And now we are in the negatives to make up for it. Why were you complaining about the weather being nice? I was not complaining. I was commenting. I don't think the weather knew the difference. No, clearly not. Oh my God. It's like we get like five nice days a year and they all happened in January. Yeah. Yeah. So it is frigid in our house and especially outside. I have not been outside in about a week now. Uh, I've like... Going outside just to, like, get from, like, car to office is unpleasant. Yeah. Speaking of unpleasant, we are also recording the week where Charisma Carpenter finally came out and said all of the things Joss Whedon did. And then we've got Sarah Michelle Geller and Michelle Trachtenberg and several, oh, Amber Benson. A few of the other women have said stuff. Two of the guys have said stuff. Um, three. Three. There was a writer from Firefly who was like, yeah, he really enjoyed making writers cry. Yeah. So... I wish I could say this surprised me, as no. I'm a huge, huge fan of Buffy and Firefly. And But a few years ago, I he wrote an article for a magazine I was reading, like a physical magazine. And I'm reading it going, oh, this guy is uh, scary. This guy is scary. He was writing like apocalyptic stuff. And this was his way of viewing the world. And it was incredibly cynical, like even for me. And I remember thinking, this guy, there's something happening here. This guy is scary. Now, I didn't know about the Charisma Carpenter, what she said in 2009. I just didn't know. But the fact that he has been scary for a long time really doesn't surprise me. Yeah, someone said, like, hopefully this is the end of the, well, he's hard to work with, but he's brilliant. It's like, no, he's hard to work with. He's an asshole. Don't work with him. Yeah, that's one of the things I always told my students was in theater, in, in life, but I specifically taught theater. If you are hard to work with, most people won't care how talented you are. And that is true until you are at the top of the food chain. Um, It's hard to get to the top of the food chain without at least faking being decent. But we should be at a point, we should be getting to a point where that doesn't matter anymore. How t- There's always going to be someone that talented. There's just not necessarily going to be somebody that's that talented and hard to work with, at, to put it mildly. And there will be plenty of people who are that talented who won't sexually harass girls that are 15 years old and who won't fire you for getting pregnant. There are plenty of decent people who are talented. You don't have to have it one way or the other. Yeah. Like, I've worked with plenty of decent and talented people. So don't put up with stuff. And if you are a person in some kind of power and you see somebody behaving like a dick, handle it. Because the underlings can't. I've been there. You can't say anything without risking your job. And especially in the arts, getting blacklisted is a very real thing. Yeah. And, you know, you're the trouble. You're the problem if somebody sexually assaults you. Well, that's how you get by in this business. No, it's not. It's like, it's, it is if you if we allow it. Or they'll be like, well, it used to be worse back in the 80s. So. Yeah. A lot of things used to work back in the worse back in the 80s. So, like television, music. Yeah. 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 So like nowadays, if we see a bad episode of TV, nobody responds, well, it was worse in the 80s. Okay. Yeah, we see a bad episode of TV and we just skip to the next episode. Mm-hmm. So, like we do every time we see Scott's Tots. Oh, God. 
I love The Office and I love the podcast Office Ladies. And I'm actually considering for that episode writing in and have my entire question be, why? Why? Because I can get through just about anything. I have watched like horrible murder documentaries. I can't watch that episode. No, it's it's pain. It's just so I can't watch it because I have like this just the secondhand embarrassment and shame that he should be feeling that he isn't. And it just makes me so mad. See, for me, it's I feel like that teacher and those kids, but that teacher would have had every right to just tackle him. Yeah. And the fact that he gets like any kind of forgiveness from one of the kids, I'm like, like, well, they all got a bunch of scholarships. No, they didn't. They did not get enough to cover all of their educations like he promised them. And because of that, yes, all these kids got accepted to college. And yes, most of them got some kind of money. They will not all finish college. They probably wouldn't have all finished college just because statistically not everybody finishes college. But fewer of them will because scholarships run out or you get one bad grade, your scholarship goes away. These kids aren't all going to finish college and they won't get this. This person broke a big promise. They will have trust issues forever. Yeah. So, I like I said, office ladies. Why? Yeah. Ooh. I, I wonder who wrote it. Too. I didn't want to find out who wrote it because, oh boy, like someone swung and missed on this one. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I was also listening to that. And by coincidence, it was the same re- way day the Josh Whedon stuff came out. And they were talking about the episode, the first episode that Josh Whedon directed and how he stopped production because he didn't like one of Pam's paintings. <laughs> like full on stopped production and refused to keep going. And they ran into an art school classroom and was like, who can paint us a stapler in the next 30 minutes? And there was a girl who got 50 bucks or something. And her name was never attached to this as far as I know. How dare they? Now, the stapler was a good choice. I don't think Joss Whedon was in the wrong for saying, hey, we should have a painting of a stapler. But... Stopping production because... Hundreds of people's work days and life days. Like, not cool. Not cool. So let's get into the episode. Yeah. Who gets to go first this week? Uh, Even though I did the Sarah Jane Moore extravaganza last week, and by God, if this isn't recording, I am going to light something on fire. I mean, um, don't do not do that. Wait until it thaws out before you light stuff on fire. I don't want to sit outside. So even though I went first last week, we're pretty sure I went second two weeks ago. So I'm going to go first this week. Yay. So many, many moons ago, right at the beginning of COVID, I talked about the history of hand washing and how to correctly wash your hands. And I decided to expand upon that today with the history of just bathing and how to do it correctly. Because... We all stink. Yeah. We just do. I have been bathing much like the chinchilla does by just rolling around in sand and dust until like the outer layer of dirt is scrubbed off of me, then shaking myself free. Is that how I'm supposed to bathe? Well, that is actually closer to how they thought you should bathe during the plague, except they didn't want to get the layer of dust off. But yeah, rolling around in the dirt, you would have done well bathing-wise during the plague. Score. So uh, during the current plague, I'm also doing great. I mean, your co-workers have been calling me to complain about the odor. It's more like I'm just a cloud of dust. You're like that character from uh, from Peanuts. Pigpen. Pigpen. Yeah. So when we are growing up and when kids are in school, we tell them, all right, kids, you've got to take that shower. you got to take that bath. And we might say you got to use soap and water. That's it. We were ne- like, I don't know about now anyway, but we were never told this is the temperature your water should be. This is the kind of stuff you should use. This is the order in which you should wash and in which you should watch. And perhaps most importantly, here's why you should do it. I do know um, amongst my male friends, like the discovery of conditioner in their 30s. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like they didn't know about this. It's like, have you like have you used conditioner? It's like, yes, yes. Maddie introduced me to the conditioner. I understand how good it is. 
Yeah, and Austin's more or less bald. Yeah, well, well, we'll call it. I'm bald. But when your hair does get longer, you do use the conditioner because I shave his head and I don't feel like doing it every week. <laughs> but he also uses it on his beard, which I actually should have written about beard beard care and stuff because I'm sure that don't that's worry. not what's um, supposed to happen. I can do... I'm actually doing a separate podcast. It's uh, Will This Be On The Test, uh, colon, beard care after hours. <laughs> it gets real steamy up in there. It does. Which is gross because it's a beard and it shouldn't be steaming. <laughs> no, that's how you... That's how you... I've been using our steam mop to clean my beard. That's why it's so luxurious. <laughs> and my face is so severely burned. <laughs> so we, as a species, and really all species, have always bathed in some way. We've talked about from the earliest days, our species was very keenly aware that everything was a danger all the time, always. They would have been smart enough to know that when I am dirty, things tend to come after me more, especially when I am covered in blood. So from the beginning, we know people have bathed. It is believed that this was commonly done in a communal fashion in some kind of form of running water if running water was available. And obviously they didn't really have soap and stuff, but sometimes they would have used like rocks to get the worst of it off. And it was mostly just water. But we have no record of this because these lazy jerks did never write anything down. What was with this pre-literate society not writing things down? How dare these cave people not like, you know, do cave drawings of someone taking a bath? I want to see the primitive Lutha, Lutha, the primitive Lufa. Actually, primitive loofahs were probably loofahs. Oh, like yeah, living those loofahs. are actually a thing. I do talk a little bit about loofahs, but I'm not talking about the natural ones as much. Um, for once, we do like we do have records of early bathing. For once, it is neither the Romans nor the Greeks. Who was it? That's a question. Oh. Um, most of what I saw said it was India, or at least the Indus Valley. Some were more specific, saying Pakistan. Some were saying it was Egypt. But... Let's just start with India because they seem to have like the most information. In India, they didn't just bathe once a day. They bathed three times a day. That is that is too much bathing. Well, it was part of their um, like worship that oh, they would okay. do. And it was based on looking at the Grihya Sutras, which are kind of a painted vase. Several people would kind of go around a single basin, basin that looked kind of like a bird bath, and they would scrub themselves down. And uh, the... Other cultures, it was just kind of different variations on this kind of thing. All of it came down to, we like being clean, or we are worshiping our gods by being clean. Then came the Greeks. Slackers. Those those Greeks, what have they ever done for us? We know they were doing this by at least 2000 BCE in a place called Knossos, Crete. I think Knossos. I don't know. They used basins, small tubs, and foot baths. We have also found super nice alabaster tubs that they would use <gasps> in Santorini. And they also seem to be of the be the first to have developed some kind of shower, which they had lead pipes that had a valve attached and a pull string. And when you wanted the water to dump on your head, you'd pull the pull string. Now, this is something that actually lasted a long time on and off, not necessarily in a row. But and then toilets were also like this for a long time. You would have a pull string. My grandparents had a pull string toilet in their house. What? Mm -hmm. Back in St. Louis, they had a pull string toilet. I thought it was the coolest thing. That is the coolest thing. Now, it was indoor plumbing. It wasn't like this, I think. I think it was just kind of at that point a style issue, but it was pretty cool. They later started using public baths and public showers, which was actually really common until very recently. Uh, And it's still common in some cultures, some communities for baths to be communal activities. Like if you go to countries with high levels of poverty or countries where people are still like there's still like tribal communities, you will see a lot of communal bathing. I know uh, communal bathing is like a 
bigger thing in Japan than like here. Mm-hmm. A lot. Mm-hmm. It's like families will take baths together. Well, and yeah, yeah. This is communal bathing with your family, communal bathing with your community. It's not weird in most much of the world. This is frankly a white people problem. It's those goddamn Puritans ruining everything mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you reach every spot on your back? No, I cannot. No. Like, it makes more, like, actual sense. And, like, you've always got that one spot that kind of itches, and it's always the same spot you can't reach. Yeah. And it's probably because you can't wash it. No, it's just just piles of gross unwashedness. And the Greeks used this place called gymnasiums, (gasps) which comes from the Greek gymnos, meaning naked. So gym class was basically, it's like, hey, welcome to naked class. Yeah, welcome to the naked room. (laughs) And the word is there because men did all of their exercise and their sports while nude. And it was, as I understand it, to appreciate the male form in all of its glory. Come on. I'm like, it's like, I'm trying to think of like, imagine bowling. If we continued this tradition, you're welcome. (laughs) Okay, though, imagine like baseball. Oh, God. (laughs) Having the slide. The sliding. Or any any sport that revolves a cup. Are you going to not wear a cup? Or are you going to wear only a cup? <laughs> um, now, their gymnasiums weren't just for bathing. They had, like, meeting room. It was like a public library with a sports section and a bath. You could so, do literally anything there. Yes. Oh, um, fun fact, one of our libraries actually has a shower in it. Really? From, like, back in the 70s, it's just upstairs. It's in the old director's office, because apparently he would he was in charge of mowing the lawn, and he'd take a shower when he was done. Okay, I respect that. that's what the library director did back then, so he I got a shower. I respect that. And honestly, would it be a terrible thing for libraries to have public showers that were maybe yeah. open in the early morning and late after, yeah, after hours? Like, uh, it'd be, like, you know, we're talking about, like, if we had, like, public showers or, like, washer dryers. Yeah, washer dryers, for sure, because you've got so many people who come in there who are homeless or underemployed and looking for jobs who may not have clean clothes or the yeah. ability to bathe. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to write this down because I'm going to suggest we get washers and dryers. Please do. Like we've yeah, talked about this in the past. Plan. Yeah. And you can get, oh, you can get grant money from companies for this. Mm-hmm. It's great PR. Oh yeah. Um. Anyway, so we've touched in last uh, past episodes about how the Romans had indoor plumbing and say what you want about those scary motherfuckers. They knew how to live. Um, and now we're prime, all of their towns, all of their bigger towns had a central bathhouse, but we're primarily at this moment talking about a city called Bath. Bath. Isn't that in England? Yes. Uh, Or as they called it, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Aquasolis, which means pretty much what you think it means. Um. Warm water? I think so. Okay. I should have looked it up. I just looked at the word aqua. Um. Now, as you might guess, this town was known for its baths. But unlike other cultures before and after, their indoor plumbing was not exclusive to the wealthy or the royal. It was open to everybody, either for free or for a very small fee, because they understood the importance of bathing. I was actually saying to Austin yesterday, it's like, how much farther along would we be as a society if the Roman Empire hadn't fallen? Now, granted, there are a lot of other implications here, like we'd probably all be dead, but... They were so advanced, and then we regressed for hundreds of years in a lot of ways, and now we're kind of back to where the Romans were, in a way. If the Romans had had electricity, they'd have been where we are now. Can you imagine Caligula with Twitter? Oh, wait, I can. But 
And they had the exact, they were more or less the same as gymnasia, except for the running water portion of it. And they also had spaces where you could eat and drink and get drunk and do all that. That sounds like a blast. I know. And then Christianity happened. Oh, God damn it. And people started becoming ashamed of their sinful, sinful bodies. So these started to fall out of favor. And then the empire fell, the Dark Ages started, and indoor plumbing went with it. And people then started to become way less hygienic for a very long time in the Western world. Meanwhile, Japan is over here like, we clean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this started when they brought in Buddhism from China, and the Buddhist monks had bathhouses called Yuya. Um, and since... That, that's because Buddhism has a principle of purity, and their baths were eventually made open to the public, although wealthy people had private ones. And then hundreds of years later, the Japanese began to have Iwaburo, I'm pronouncing all of this wrong, I'm sorry, meaning rock pools, and Kamaburo, meaning furnace baths, which were built into caves or natural vaults. These were steam rooms, and they had no gender distinction. It's believed that people used them for sexy times in addition to bathing because they were very dark. But most people, it was primarily so you can get clean and enjoy, like, the steamy atmosphere. It was kind of like a sauna. Oh. And there was socializing and all that. Um, they did start to develop a bit of a... You, you've heard the stereotypes of the bath of the Japanese bathhouses. Oh, yeah. Um, they if, started... if you've seen an episode of any anime, you've seen, like, uh -huh. the fan service bathhouse episode. Yeah, and that was a thing. Um a lot of them did employ people to do these. Sometimes it really was just, I'm going to wash your hair and give you a bath. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was for other things. But this started to kind of make them go out of favor. And in 1870, they were fully shut down, at least for a time, because of both moral and hygiene reasons, mostly because of Western tourists who were like, this is scandalous. I can't believe there are naked people of the gender binary in one room together. I can. I am shocked. Although I bet a lot of it was my husband's visiting these bathhouses a lot. <laughs> and oh, uh, they tried to make this not happen starting in 1841, but they were like they started having they started segregating them by gender. But for a lot of places, it was like we're not going to build a separate room. So here's a tape line down the middle, like an episode of Full House. <laughs> Stay on your side. Then we get back to the Western world with the medieval Christians. The whole cleanliness is next to godliness thing is true in Christianity, and they always said people should be hygienic. They denounced the Roman baths as sinful because of the mixed genders, but now they're in places more where the pagans were hanging out, and the pagans had a long tradition of watching the ladies bathe and like the communal bathing thing altogether. So they were like, well, shit. How do we get these pagans to come over to us? Hmm, maybe we could do like what we did with Christmas and shit and kind of combine these things with our cleanliness is important with their pagan rituals. So they brought back the communal baths. <laughs> because, I mean, they're in charge now, not the Romans. So yeah. it's okay. These aren't the Roman communal baths. These aren't sexy time baths. These are, we're going to get you clean and get you out baths. Sure. Um, the higher ups in the church even started mandating that these baths be near monasteries and pilgrimage locations. And Pope Gregory the Great told everyone that bathing was as necessary as other basic needs like eating. They ultimately built these huge, luxurious baths for rich people and especially for the popes and then charity baths for the pores because god forbid we give them something nice like again you should have thought of that before you were poor mm -hmm. why did have you tried not being poor like listen just 
start like you know pulling yourself up by those bootstraps peasants peasants like it's just so easy to not be poor you just like say one day i'm gonna make a vision board and not be poor anymore listen you just ask your dad for a better job and he gives you a better Why job haven't you and you're not poor your trust fund yet yeah it's like come on just use your trust funds ask daddy for more money from your trust fund you know there are plenty of people who have trust funds and stuff who use it for good but then yeah. there are the ones like this yes um Obviously, by the Middle Ages, once again, public bathhouses became prostitution hotspots, which made them start to fall out of favor. The wealthy started bathing at home, usually in their bedrooms, using a tub with a cloth in it so they wouldn't get splinters on their delicate, delicate asses. Oh, these were wooden tubs? Yes. Okay. They used wooden tubs. Their little servants would come in and bathe them and because obviously you can't be asked to like wash yourself. You have to have your servants do it. Uh, like, honestly, though, we watch stuff like Downton Abbey, which is so recent, and they still have people helping them bathe. That was like 100 years ago-ish. Yeah. And I'm sure there are still people who have, like, even probably in America and England, even, there are people who are like, I've got this chambermaid who washes my hair, which, yeah. I mean, if you're paying them well enough and there's nothing non-consensual about this and all that, fine. As long as they knew what they were signing up for, as long as they applied for this as their job. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd love it if somebody came in and just washed my hair for me. I, I- that's like one of the best parts of getting your hair cut out of salon. Oh, absolutely. I lost my spot. Go away. So this was around the same time that washing clothes began to start. Okay. Until the Middle Ages, we were washing our clothes. What Was it just a, uh-oh, this one's gone bad, better throw it out situation? My guess is they just wore them until they wore out. Like, I'm sure once in a while they were like, huh, I wonder what will happen if I rinse this. But this is the first time they actually put effort into washing them. <laughs> it's like, it's like, wow, I was working in the rain and suddenly I like my clothes feel better. Maybe mm-hmm. we should do this on purpose. And etiquette and medical books from this time started telling people that between washing their clothes and the visible parts of their body, hands, face, ears, feet, neck, that was all that they needed to do to stay, to stay healthy. This was all you needed for hygiene. If it was covered <laughs> by your clothes, you were fine. <laughs> Now, bear in mind, this is around the same time that people were still throwing buckets of feces out their windows. Yeah. That's actually why men walk on the outside on sidewalks. Huh. Like, in terms of etiquette, I I don't give a shit what you do. I always just assumed it was to thwart kidnappers. It's originally because of the shit being thrown out the windows and then because of cars going by and splashing people. Oh, okay. Um, And now it's kind of habit and people get really weird about etiquette. If I, the thing I've always hated is when men insist on opening my car door for me. I'm like, no, I am fully capable of this and you are wasting valuable seconds before I get into the Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, it's, I, I learned that lesson the hard way when you uh, bit me on the arm when I tried. You, I was hungry and you looked like a blooming onion by that point. Oh, yeah. We had reached the cartoon uh, desert island state of hunger where we were hallucinating food. It was bad. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the Middle Ages where diseases were going around all the time. And during the plague, especially, people believed that the dirt on their bodies provi- uh, created some kind of barrier from germs. Have we tested this? Has anyone, like, wandered around a, like, you know, a sick person's house just covered in mud and did they get COVID? It definitely helped with the social distancing because no one <laughs> wanted to stand within six feet of you. You know, I bet we could find some volunteers for this experiment. Yeah, we really could. Um, In the 16th century, bathing went down again because people switched from wool to linen. Linen can be easily washed. Wool cannot. So people were like, I look awesome, even though I smell like old fish. (laughs) And at the time, medical professionals agreed, thinking that disease came from miasma, which, of course, was smells, including the smell of dirty clothes, but not dirty bodies. B.O. was not miasma, but the B.O. on your clothes that was my asthma. Of course. You know, and I bet a lot of people back then had asthma. Yeah, but you know, 
but you know, it's it's just, it was just undiagnosed. It hasn't actually been going up. It was just not diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And they actually thought that bathing would lead to more miasma in the air because even though your body order wasn't miasma, it had miasma trapped in it. So if you bathed, the miasma would come out of your pores and go into the air. <laughs> this is not how it works. No. You want that coming out of your pores because it makes the germs go away. It wasn't until the late 18th century that bathing became viewed as a necessity again. The late 18th century, my friends. Oh. This is like Revolutionary War era. That's what I'm thinking of, right? 18th century, yeah. 1700s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People began to realize that uh, bathing was related to hygiene, right? And they believed cold water, both inward and outward, were healing. And they also began to believe that both hot and cold water, kind of back and forth, could help with fevers. Which is interesting. Huh. I kind of, I get where they were kind of coming from. And we do know that today, like, cool water can help with a fever. Ice baths should really only be done at hospitals because they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I can kind of see, like, the hot water thing, like, doing some kind of temperature control. Do not do anything, like trying to treat yourself medically unless it's like a, like the sniffles without a doctor's help. And if your doctor is like, I'm going to bleed you and we're going to talk about the miasma, run. Yes, run. Um, if you that see, man is from the 1600s. You need to leave. If you just see like jars of cocaine and leeches, run. Although leeches are coming back into use. It's actually, yeah, it's been good. For, it's like, legal from for, 2004, uh, like, I think. Yeah. Uh, limb reattachments because they help increase blood flow to like, you know, places where it's been cut off. Yeah. Yeah. And leeches aren't like inherently gross. I mean, you probably, they're probably like single use. There's but... like, there, there are medical leeches. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in 1767, the first mechanical shower came along. This was a pump attached to a vessel above people's heads. They'd have a pull chain to make it move. This is actually closer to what my grandparents had, I guess. Um, the following century, the 1800s, in Europe, public bathhouses came back. Woohoo! They claimed to have curative properties, including things like uh, curing diabetes. To be clear, no matter how much you bathe, that will not cure diabetes. Yeah. And, you know, the healing powers of baths have been around for forever. Um, I know uh, Pliny the Elder mm-hmm. went on, like, basically, he had the first ever, like, Yelp reviews. Mm-hmm. It was just, he wrote about every bath he knew about and its curative or its harmful properties. Yeah, and I'm actually planning on doing an episode in the future about, like, the Crescent Hotel and, like, the idea of, like, snake oil salesmen. And that goes into the healing powers of bathing and hot springs. Because the Crescent Hotel, guys, that dude was the worst. Oh God, that was. By it way, all uh, just to be clear, hot springs won't cure cancer, no matter what no. some dude from is that Missouri or Arkansas, Arkansas tells you. Yeah, he was also injecting them with tar, but that's beside <laughs> the was point. Was it tar? Yeah. Um. Then in the 19th century, they were like, "Hey, this soap thing is pretty cool." We had had soap for a very long time at this point. There were people who made soap as far back as I think the 16, 1700s, but it kind of. Cleanliness became associated with morality again, and soap made you extra clean, which made God like you more, I guess. Um, But access to water and bathing in one's home was still rare, so they began to work on supplying water to the different places in response to the cholera epidemic. For the rich in America uh and Britain, screw the pores. Oh, no, no, the poor? Why? Ew. No, gross. And we've we've talked about cholera and water in the past. That was one of yours. uh, John Snow. Uh, In 1861, following the Civil War in the United States, people began to bathe more. And it's because we didn't want to be like those dirty Europeans. (laughs) Literally, it was we looked at them and we looked at us and thought, how can we make ourselves even more different? And it's because 
they're still dirty, we can be clean, and that will show people how much better the new world is. So they began to advertise with so advertise soaps. We've talked about how they used to like advertise soaps before. By the 1900s, weekly baths were common, uh, usually on Saturdays because workers did a half day on Saturday, so they had plenty of time to set up the bath. And Sundays was the day of rest. You weren't really supposed to do it then. Plus, they had to go to church. So they would fill up this bathtub with hot water. Dad would go first and the baby would go last. The whole family would bathe in the same tub, in the same water. And we now know how bad babies' immune systems are. Like, even if they're breastfed, their immune systems are not magically perfect. They're better than we might think. But there is a reason you have to wash your hands before handling a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was because uh, you don't want to get your scent on them because then they'll reject the mother. <laughs> No, that's pee. You don't want to pee on them. (laughs) Okay. No, it's actually an interesting thing, though, because we talk about how the low life expectancy happened then. It actually wasn't a low life expectancy. It was a low overall lifespan because so many people died in childhood and infancy. The actual life, like the actual length of someone's life was not actually that much shorter than it is now. Oh, yeah. Because like every time you're reading like a biography of someone who was born before the turn of the century, it's like, you know, so-and-so was the fifth child, two of which survived. Yeah. So like when we look back, we're like, oh, they died at 76 back in 1800. Wow. They were they like, that's really it's not that old. I mean, it is old because that is still our lifespan Mm -hmm. today. And we do live longer than we did back then because of the modern technology. But it wasn't like people were living till 30 and that was it. It was the average, not the average, not um, the median. The the median median was low because of how many people died when they were young, Um, which I can't imagine sharing your bathwater helped. Oh, probably not. Uh, that explains the whole throw the baby out with the bathwater thing. Yes. I get that now. Also, if your baby is deep enough in the water to be thrown out with it, <laughs> something really bad has already happened. It was Aquaman. Your baby was Aquaman. It's fine. But at least they were trying. Um, and then today, a lot of people shower at least once a day, usually in the morning or the evening. Some people shower more if they work in sweaty jobs, if they are athletic and go to the gym a lot, or if it's COVID and their wife makes them. Yep. It's like I shower in the morning, then again to decontaminate when I get home. Uh, she's wearing the full suit and everything. She sprays me with bleach when I walk in the door. It's, it's Yeah, it's all true. It's all rough. True. My skin is very bad. <laughs> But then we get into the meat of all of this, because this is stuff we should have learned in school, but didn't, didn't learn fully or didn't learn correctly. Now, whether or not you should have learned the history of bathing, I think it's interesting. Oh, I will, you missed one of my favorite bathing facts I learned in Latin class. Mm-hmm. It was the Romans when they'd bathe. Uh, part of what they would do is they would cover themselves, they would scrub themselves with olive oil and then scrape it off with a stick. into. A, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I left out a lot of stuff. I didn't actually come across that, but I left out like entire cultures and stuff because I just didn't want to have this be forever. I tried to do that once and it did not work. No, I use um, castor oil in my eyebrows because guys, I started plucking my eyebrows in like 99, 2000. And so I am working on rectifying this situation. She had a very 90s brow. I had a very 90s brow that was overcompensating for a bit of a unibrow. Um, but now my brows, it, it's working. The castor oil is working. Um, not medical advice, but it is working. But no matter what you do, it runs down. Yeah. Like, even if I scraped it off with a stick, I have a feeling it would just keep running down. So how often should we shower? What should it? What should we do in the shower? Baths or showers? Why do a lot of teenagers refuse to bathe? These are all great questions. And they're what I'm going to talk about. This is the stuff we definitely should have learned in school. 
Not every medical professional agrees on all of this. Your own lifestyle and level of comfort and specific health conditions and cultural background and religious needs, that will all inform this. I am not a medical doctor of any sort. I am not a holistic practitioner of any sort. If you have a medical-related question when it comes to bathing or anything else, do not take medical advice from our dumbass podcast. I do, however, feel that we are definitely qualified for anything holistic related because I know nothing about it. So um also I do not care from where you get your essential oils. But remember, essential oils poisonous to cats overall. Yeah. Not all of them, but most of them, it's not worth it. They they smell very nice. They but... do. I like them, but I don't use them. Yeah. Um so if you're ever confused about bathing for yourself, talk to your doctor. Don't use us as our primary source for medical advice or any source for medical advice. This is general advice that should apply to the majority of people. Really, you shouldn't come to us for advice anyway. We're a mess. Yeah, there's nothing worse than when I have to be the adult in the room. Even when I was a teacher, I was like, mm, is this the best look for me? Oof. It's like, um, I am good for sarcastic comments and poorly timed jokes. I have gotten less mature as I've gotten older. Austin can vouch for this. We were laughing at something up just hysterically. I think it was just like... Was it the... Uh, was it the text I got with the image yes! of I got a text that was a screenshot of a text with feces and there was no context was, to this text. Okay, this was a weird poop. I saw this poop and I, I think thought, it was a sick deer. I, I thought whoever pooped this is very unhealthy. Yeah, and I, so I looked up the number obviously and it was a business in our area and so I texted them back saying I appreciate your unique attempt at, at, attempt at guerrilla marketing, but unfortunately, feces does not work as a uh, incentive to me. Uh, good luck on your journey, basically. Yeah. And it turned out that she was that she just texted the wrong number, and it had to, she was trying to file a police report related to this feces. Yeah, I would have this. This poop was a crime. Yeah, like you can see, like there's a reason I'm not saying their name because shit happened. <laughs> <laughs> so mature. Oh, I felt like she really missed out on an opportunity, though, by saying by not responding with, oh, shit. She, okay. she apologized profusely. Oh, and of course, I still laugh every time they were talking about, like, statues. The statue was erected. It's like, <laughs> right, So I'm going to start from the end of my questions here. Teenagers, why do... Obviously, some of them do bathe on a regular basis in a healthy amount. Then there are people who go to the extreme that, you know, our 17 magazines in back 1998 told us to do, which was bathe every day, maybe multiple times. You're a horrific looking. Okay, I loved Seventeen magazine. They actually never said anything like that. They were actually very supportive of girls overall. Although it was the '90s, there were some differences between then and now. But there are the overbathers and the overwashers. But then far too often there are the kids who do not bathe. I was one of them for a brief time. In my case, it was because I started developing skin reactions to all soaps, all shampoos, all conditioners. My doctor has since referred to my skin by the medical term "wussy." So if that does apply to you, and like, or if it applies to your kid, hormones will fuck with your body chemistry. And even as an adult, your skin can change. Change to fragrance-free, change to sensitive skin. If that doesn't work, go see a dermatologist. Yeah. Do not be the greasy-haired kid can, who scratches their head I all can, the time. I can say a part of my, like, it's like when I was like, I don't want to take a shower is because I was very busy reading a book or playing a video game. It's like, I don't want to take That is one of the this. reasons I have on here. Yay. Uh, kids get really, really busy, whether it is being lazy, yay, playing video games, whatever, 
or it's the increased pressures of school, the number of hours of homework they have every day. And then if they also have a job or they have after school activities, it is not high on the list of priorities. And that comes down to all of our responsibility because it is bathing is both hygienic and physically healthy for that reason, but it's also mentally healthy. It is known to increase like your serotonin levels and or balance your serotonin levels, make you feel better just as a whole. I remember I lived with my grandparents for a while and I'd get out of the shower and every time my grandma would go, see, now don't you feel better? And every time I was like, yeah, I do. Even if I hadn't felt bad before. Yeah, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do need to make sure it's being prioritized. Um, they've also reached an age where you can't force them to bathe. Hopefully by now, for a few years, they have been bathing themselves. Like when they're getting to teenage years, unless your kid has some kind of developmental disability or physical disability that makes it hard for them to do, hopefully by now they've been bathing themselves. But when you hit this age, puberty starts. The way you bathed before can't necessarily work anymore. And they also might view it as some kind of form of rebellion. Mom says I have to do this, so I'm not going to do it. Or fine, I'll get in the shower, but I'm not going to use soap. (sighs) What did my my parents know anyway? God. Yeah, it's a form of rebellion. And you'll never hear me say something like, these kids are not bad kids. This is a developmentally normal thing to do. To be like, I'm not going to do this little thing my mom says. Um, But this is something that, you know, tell them to rebel against something else. (laughs) It's like, hey, there's so much. It's like, do you want to you want to rebel against this instead? Maybe. And as Very Well Health puts it, quote, if your teen doesn't shower regularly, they may face some serious social and physical consequences. Because physical consequences, of course, is health issues. Um, Everything from more germs than you to higher levels of asthma. Um, And then social consequences. Nobody wants to hang out with the smelly kid. I know that from my allergic reaction time. But like people don't want to sit by you. People don't want to hang out with you. And it's a hard subject for anybody to broach. So, yeah, find, help them find something else to rebel against. Give them give them like something you really don't care about. <laughs> we kind of went out of order with what I had here. It's okay. Okay, then there is the fact that their bodies are changing, which I kind of touched upon a second ago. They are sweatier. Their bodies are producing additional oils. And for the first time ever around puberty, might be a little before, might be a little after, BO is starting. For whatever reason, little kids don't tend to get BO. They, it's on their own bodies. They probably don't smell it. And a lot of people in their lives are not going to say anything because it's impolite. So either their parents need to handle it or if or their teachers. Um, our job was to call the nurse if we started having the kid with the BO. Um, or in some cases, if we had a like a female nurse, we would call the male PE teacher to talk to the boys um, because it, it just made them more comfortable. And we had deodorant and stuff on, on hand. We had um, like body wash on hand and the goal was never to embarrass them it was just hey it's been noticed that you've that you've been having bo here is some stuff to help you out but ideally the parents will call them on it yeah puberty should not be a taboo subject in your house to begin with but you really don't want it to come out of the blue when your kid starts to smell so definitely have these conversations early and find a way to phrase it so not like ew you stink but like hey um hey smelly deodorant you heard of it (laughs) Um, And then, of course, there are cognitive challenges. Kids are so good at hiding this, especially at the elementary level when there's all this one-on-one attention. It's a lot easier to um, kind of ignore things because kids are developing at such different rates during during this time. All the way through school, kids are so good at finding ways to compensate. So if you... If you get to middle school and suddenly your kid turns out doesn't know how to bathe, doesn't know why they should bathe, doesn't do it correctly, and they seem to really not 
understand it. You're not a bad parent if you didn't notice that there was some challenge. You're not. Because they hide it so well and they had so much one-on-one attention. Now they're in school and it's middle school and it's different and it's hard and they have 200 classmates and they can't get that attention. You're not a bad parent if you didn't notice a cognitive challenge before now. And they can also develop at any age or if they had a head injury, it could develop. So if you're starting to think something's not right here, go to the pediatrician, talk to the school counselor, they'll help you figure something out. And then, of course, puberty is a time when mental health issues arise sometimes for the first time. They can happen at any age, but depression loves to show up in middle school. It is its favorite time to show up for the first time because their brains are like, what the actual hell is happening? And we love to boil it down to, oh, your little hormones. I bet you have your first real crush. No, I mean, they might. But that is so reductive of the whole issue, and it is dismissive of the greater problems that come with the hormone changes that are happening in your mind, in your body. Yes, they may have their first crush, but believe it or not, that is not the source of all their problems. And their hormones could be the source of all these problems. Stop reducing it to this one stupid thing. Because yes, it is easier for us to glom onto that. It is easier for us to talk about that. It is not the issue, and it makes them not want to talk to you. Yeah, your your brain chemistry is changing. It can be hard to regulate that. And so anyone who has had depression, almost anyone, I won't speak for 100%, will tell you that bathing and depression go hand in hand. Usually it is, what is even the point? No one cares about me anyway. Why should I worry about smelling? They already hate me. I'm already going to get fired. Nobody wants to talk to me. So people just don't shower. Um, or it could just be, I can't get out of bed. I can't do it. I can't do it. The shower is so far away. Like, and that's not a judgment. I have been there, my friends. And then there's the opposite, which is showering constantly. Have to shower all the time. And that's not a, I mean, it can be an anxiety thing, but it can also happen with depression where it's, this is the one place I'm alone. This is the one place I can cry with nobody noticing. This is washing away this depression. Let me get it off. Let me get it off. Been there too, my friends. So if your kid is suddenly refusing to bathe or bathing all the time, to check in. And at this age, it's also when they start to really, if this has happened to them, really understand that sexual trauma has happened to them. And a lot of kids, a lot of adults, a lot of people, if they have been sexually assaulted in some way, will stop bathing as a conscious or unconscious method of distancing themselves from others, including their abuser, if that person is still in their lives. It is also a major factor in things like eating disorders, especially binge eating disorder, because it creates a physical space between them and this other person. But that's an issue for another time. Again, not 100% of people who have sexual trauma will do this. Not 100 people with sexual trauma will do this. But if you notice your kid is starting to do this kind of thing, and especially if you notice they're really avoiding Uncle John, check in. I don't care how close you are to this person, how much you love this person, your kid matters more. And uh, I'll look the other way if you just borrow something weapony. Don't do that. Call the police. Yeah. For all of these things relating to kids, open lines of communication can help the issue. I'm not saying it's a magic cure, but that is all the stuff that goes into why your kid might not be bathing. Um, and then, of course, they may just not know how or why. Like, nobody ever explained this to them. If you don't know something, why Like why bother? You don't know it. Um, yeah, I think because is probably the only explanation that I've ever heard. Yeah. And obviously, we've talked a lot. It's hygienic. It gets rid of the grossness from your body. You stink less. You stink less. Um, So let's get into the whys and the hows. A lot of dermatologists advise that showering every day might be uh, too much for your skin. They most recommend every other day at most, some two days, some three days. In the winter, especially when the air is dry, bathing too much can, in a way that seems kind of like it doesn't make sense, make your skin drier. Though in the summers, this is actually... You can bathe more because your skin won't be as dry in most cases. If you live in a dry area, probably was a problem. Yeah. 
Bathing can also take away too many of your body's natural oils, which can be gnarly, especially if you have eczema or psoriasis. I have eczema. It sucks. It also might clear away too much good bacteria, making you more prone to infections. This is the hygiene issue here. If you have this good bacteria gone that is fighting off these germs, you can get more infections. But you can also shower or bathe too little. Sweat is an important thing that our bodies do. We have sweat glands just about everywhere. And while we've always learned that this is here to keep us from overheating, and you might think, well, I work in an air-conditioned office all day, you sweat for other reasons. If you're stressed, you sweat. If you're, you know, anything, you'll start sweating. The sweat itself doesn't smell. But when it combines with the bacteria on our bodies, it can start to smell. And body odor, odor will definitely happen eventually, especially in your armpits, your groin, your butt, and anywhere there is any kind of skin fold or constant close, tight clothing like boobs and bras. Or if you have any rolls on your body and it folds over consistently, that could start to smell. If you have a belly button and you are not so skinny that it never touches itself, that can start to smell. Um, lost my spot. I believe you were talking about smelly belly buttons. Oh yeah, I lost my spot though. Um, so those areas can get pretty stinky pretty fast. Um, and you should wash those every single day, even if you don't take a full shower. At least kind of like get some water, rinse them off, get them clean, really smelly areas, like get some soap in there. You it because it's the bad bacteria on top of the odor. You don't want that to get into, especially in your groin area. You do not want that bad bacteria happening. However, if you are a person with a vagina, do not put soap up there. It will hurt and it can cause infections, which is I know sounds weird, but it can. Like showering too much, showering too little can mess with the bacteria. Like I said, as we go through our lives, we get dirty. That's why we wash our hands every time we go to the bathroom, even if we didn't touch anything in our nether regions, because we have touched other things throughout the day. Your body is also touching things, including the air, other people. Um, you bump into shit. Maybe you opened your door with a shoulder earlier. Like your body has grossness on it. So you and, need to shower and bathe regularly. And sometimes, um, sometimes you're walking and you just start petting animals as they run up to you. Yes. And then also, if you just don't bathe often enough, you can get this bad bacteria. In addition to the good bacteria, it wins the battle and you can get skin infections and something called dermatitis neglecta, which is exactly what it sounds like. You neglected this skin, this spot, and now your skin is infected and you get plaque. So like, so bed sores kind of? Kind of, but it's, well, no, it's more like psoriasis. Okay. It is not psoriasis, but it's it looks it's like that. It's similar to. Um, bathing also takes off your dead skin cells. Your skin cells don't necessarily shed um, when they die, even though most of them do. This can cause like those dark spots on your skin, which will go away if you wash it. So it's bad for your hygiene. It's bad for your odor if you don't bathe. But if you bathe too often, it can also cause skin problems for you. That's the long and short of it. Now, how do we do this correctly? Please tell me how I've been bathing wrong all these years. Well, every day you should wash your armpits, groin, ass, anything that folds, and your face every day. Every other than that, you should shower every one or two, every other, every two days, depending on your unique skin needs and whatnot. Um, when you start the shower, run the water until it's the right temperature. Your wrist can be a pretty good way to tell. Dermatologists recommend lukewarm or a little bit warm, but I oh, refuse. I, no, I will, I will use die very on hot water. And I will at least, die on this hill. At least I know I am doing it wrong. Listen here, dermatologists. Like, just stick to your pimple popping videos. I don't want to hear your shower advice. <laughs> How dare you know things correctly? Yeah, again, don't take medical advice from us. Wow, I, th I think we found like the one instance where I'm going to disagree with the medical expert, and it's this. I will die on this hill. But we will take responsibility if something goes 
goes wrong because we do oh, yeah. this. Like, Absolutely. and there are a lot of reasons. Like, your pores open too much, your body temperature raises too much. Like, I have gotten very lightheaded in the shower because my shower was too hot for too long. Um, then, so you've done that. You've checked the water. Uh, two, obviously, you get in the shower and then you rinse your body. If you plan to wash your hair, rinse your hair too. Three, if you plan to wash your hair, which you may not do need to do as often as you wash your body, it depends on your hair type. It depends on like different skin conditions, things like that. Um, if you plan to wash your hair, this is when you use shampoo. Put about a quarter quarter size of it. Fragrance free stuff is the best way to go because it won't. It's not as likely to give you itchies. Uh, focus on your scalp and the nape of your neck. You can lather down from there. It says in my sources that you don't really need to focus on the ends of your hair. That sounds like a personal preference to me. Um, although if you've got really bad split ends, probably right. And then you rinse and you rinse until it's like 100% gone. You need to be sure it's gone. And then you put conditioner in your hand, rub it all over your hair, especially the ends in this case. And then you let that soak while you wash the rest of you. Five, get some soap, put it on a loofah, a washcloth, your hands. I will talk about loofahs, washcloths, and hands in a moment. And oh clean my. your whole body from the neck down. Yes, you have to wash your legs. No matter what, shaving cream is not soap. Looking at you, Taylor Swift. We love you, but it's not soap. They had that entire, like, internet argument of whether you need to wash your legs or not. It was like, they, there were fights. People yeah. got nasty. Yeah, you need to wash your legs for the same reason you have to wash the rest of you. Bad bacteria. Like, you can get leg skin infections. This is a real thing that can happen. Yeah. Get that dead skin off your legs. Um, Pay special attention to these smelly areas that we have talked about. And like I mentioned, if you have a vagina, do not put soap up in there. That will mess with the balance. Your vagina is naturally self-cleaning. Um, if you do manage to get soap up there, just do a quick rinse. Like, stay clean. And then once you're done soap, oh, get between your toes too. Anything that, any any spot you can reach needs to be washed. And your, between your toes can actually, you know, they, we had all those jokes in the 90s cartoons about like toe fungus. That's real. Yeah. So uh, clean your feet. Athlete's foot is actually fungus. Yeah. Um, and once you're done, rinse, 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 rinse until you are 100% sure all of the soap is off your body. Then you rinse your hair, rinse until you don't feel anything left. Rinse your body again to get all the conditioner off your body. Then wash your face using face soap. This comes last so you can get all of the conditioner off of your face. Because even if it feels like it's not there, it might be there. Then get out of the shower. Turn it off. Get out of the, get out of the shower. Then turn it off. Do not rub yourself with the towel. Blot yourself with the towel. What? I've been... Okay, that's... like, But you've got to rub yourself with the towel. It's fun. I'm not going to stop you. No, I'm going to... No, again. I don't know. I don't know. Experts. Um, and then this is step 12. Use a fragrance-free lotion within two to three minutes after showering and use a face lotion for your face. The two to three minutes is so that your skin still has moisture in it from the shower. But not but not so much moisture that you're just... The lotion will come off if you're, yeah. if you're still soaking. Uh, fragrance-free, obviously, if you don't need fragrance-free, you probably don't have to use it. But fragrance-free is generally the best for your skin. Now, loofah, washcloth, hands. I'm not going to go into there. Hashtag Team Lufa. There are hundreds of options out there. The only thing I will say that's universal is make sure they're clean. Make sure they can dry. I can't get into all of them. I don't have time. Um, there's actually a cultural divide on this, which is really interesting. People in the black community hate loofahs. I'm talking about in general. Seem to hate loofahs. White people seem to hate washcloths. I was not like nobody seemed to know why this was other than black people were like, you know how dirty your loofah is? It's true. I guess you can wash a washcloth way more yes. easily. And uh, honestly, they are correct in this because wow. the best way, according to dermatologists, to clean your skin is with soap and your hands because your hands are cleaner than your washcloth 
or your loofah. In theory, as long as you have washed them regularly. But, I, like to, I like to exfoliate a little bit. But if you want that exfoliation, they suggest using something like a sugar scrub to scrub it off. You do, however, need to do your research. Make sure that it is water soluble because there are... There's a lot of evidence that a lot of apricot scrubs, they don't dissolve in water, and they're actually gumming up entire city uh, plumbing systems. Oh, damn. So do your research. If you want to use a loofah or a washcloth, washcloths are marginally better. The margin grows if you change your washcloth every single time. Your loofah, it never really dries. Stuff grows on it. So if you're going to use a loofah or if you're going to use a washcloth and not wash it every time, it needs to be on a hook that is high enough up that it can dry even if somebody else takes a shower in between. And if it starts to smell, throw it away. If you start to get itchy after your showers and have not changed anything else, throw it away. And for both of these, wash them regularly. You can wash them. Please do. Quickly about baths, because I've talked a lot about showers. Showers are more hygienic. But if you have a skin condition that can benefit from soaking in certain things, baths can be a very good thing. If you're taking a bath to just wash, 10 to 15 minutes is the way to go. Oh, showers five to 10 minutes, but screw that. Yeah. No, sometimes sometimes you got to like, you know, belt one out in the shower because mm-hmm. that's the benefit of showers mm-hmm. is singing. Can you really sing in a bathtub? No, you're lying down. I'm not a professional singer. I don't have that type of vocal control. I can't breathe like that. When I was in my voice classes, they used to make us lie on the ground and they'd pile books on top of our diaphragms. And in hindsight, I'm like, that's weird. Probably. I don't know if it works or not, but it was weird. Um, everything else should be done basically the same way as showers, head down. I've always liked to rinse the sh- off in the shower afterwards to make sure all the scum is off of me. Um, but baths are also good, um, obviously, for muscle aches and injuries. Your doctor tells you to take a bath, take a, take a bath. In the Cleveland Clinic even agrees that it is good for mental health. Um, they actually say, like, that candles and music thing, they actually say it works. Ooh. Candles, music, get in the bath. They say 104 degrees, like a hot tub, for 30 minutes can decrease stress and balance your serotonin. Um, but you shouldn't do this every single day for the same reason as showers. Because, I mean, who can listen to that much Enya? I, I've tried that. I can't do Enya. Uh, not but with a bath. What about when, even when she's going, ooh, sail away, sail away, sail away? I cannot know. And yes, there is a no bathing movement. I am not going to address that. That is a much longer topic than what I have for now. I'm just, my assumption is that they're like anti-vaxxers, but smellier. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. Um, that is a whole episode's worth of topic. So that is the history of bathing, why you should do it, how you should do it, and how you should kind of check in with your kids' mental health if they're refusing to do it. It could just be a form of rebellion, but it's always worth making sure your kids are okay. Or it could just be- Also, it could be if your spouse is not showering or showering too often, maybe check in with them too. Oh, gosh. That's a lot. Yeah. I'm, I am not changing my bathing habits. I'm still going to roll around in dirt to clean myself clean. That's just going to happen. And the more you do it, the more likely I am to make you sleep in the garage. But I'll freeze to death. You will kill me. That's your choice. Yeah. I fe- actually... Oh, speaking of, that's something I somehow missed. Uh, when you're in a warm bath, part of the re- part of the reason that... And shower, part of the reason that you can get the bad bacteria is not... And this part of why you shouldn't take too hot. It opens your pores, and then you get out of the shower, and they close really quickly and trap in bad bacteria. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Good to Lufas know. Lufas can put more bad bacteria on you. <gasps> Um, all right. You ready for some questions? I am ready for questions. All right, these are questions that are not to be answered, but whether or not they'd be on a test. Bathing it used to be done communally. Yes. Christians both put an end to and a start to bathhouses. No, because then they'd have to talk about prostitution. Gymnasium comes from the word for naked. 
No, because uh, children would never stop laughing about that. Because I would never stop. Laughing I'm in about the that. naked room. It's like, do I have to wear pants, teacher? Ha ha ha! No. Well, back in the day, uh, swim classes in schools were for boys, and they swam naked. You should shower and wash your body from the top down. Yes. And you should wash certain areas of your body every day, even if you don't shower daily. Yeah, I think that should be on there. Yeah. So, PSA: take your baths, take your showers, make sure your kids do too. The end. Whew. Boy, you should have gone second because that way I could, you could said you were batting cleanup. I have no idea what that means. It was a sports reference. I understand that. Okay. I killed all of the energy with a sports reference. Welcome to Will This Be On The Test. So, <laughs> if you would like to know more sports references, follow a different podcast. Hey, we make lots of sports. I make lots of sports references. What <laughs> are it. sports? Um, It's like... It's like theater, but outside and no actors. It's what Greeks did naked in their gymnasium. Yeah. <laughs> Please, the Greeks did everything naked. They were great at it. Yep, the Greeks were really good at being naked. Like, the Olympic wrestling was initially done naked, and I feel like we should bring that and back. again, Plato, champion wrestler. So get that in your head next time you're studying philosophy. All right, let's talk about my story now. I got um a little bit of shade when I did my Amber Room episode for not mentioning a curse. Yeah. I didn't think it was a very interesting curse. And I just cut it for time, but fine. So I decided I'm gonna we're gonna redo redo. I'm gonna talk about another famous treasure, and it's actually something that I thought was really boring because I went to the Smithsonian and I saw it in the geology section. It was the Hope Diamond. Great intro to this. It's really boring, even yeah. in Austin's opinion. It's like okay, the Smithsonian is amazing and. The gem and mineralogy collection, so cool. But I was just standing in line with a bunch of people to see another shiny rock in this hall of shiny rocks. And by the time I got there, I was done with the shiny rocks. Yeah, I feel like the Hope Diamond is kind of like Paris syndrome is you see it. And it's it wasn't yeah. what you expected because that's actually a real thing. Like, yeah, there are people in Paris who were like prepared to help people who develop Paris, which I believe is mostly Japanese tourists, largely Japanese tourists. Yeah. But it's you know, lots of because you get there and it's just not what you expected. It's, it's built up as this romantic, wonderful place. that's just like it is the Western ideal for a lot of people. And they get there and it's just another smelly crowded city and they're like oh the only city that doesn't do that is boston i will stand by boston for the rest of my so, life so boston is not crowded or smelly actually it's not smelly they've got trash cans like everywhere and they are watching you Ooh. so let's talk a little about this diamond it is a big ass diamond it is 45.52 carats or for those of you who uh are like who never learned like you know measurements because you're in America. Okay, and they seriously make no though, sense. did is carrots a common form of measurement no, that I think everyone it's only uses? Used in gemstones. For those of you who aren't well versed in this, it's about the size of a pigeon's egg. Okay, that means less to me than carrots. Okay, think about how big a chicken is yes. and how small their egg is. Now extrapolate based on how big a pigeon is. I mean, I had a pigeon that lived on my window, so I kind of okay. have an idea, but. Yeah, you know, it is got a slightly bluish color. Uh, it's due to trace amounts of boron in it because uh, the Smithsonian actually cut a tiny little piece of it off so they could do a chemical analysis of it. And it's like, yeah, it's just got boron in it. Little like it's like less than two parts per million. I did an entire science project on boron my sophomore year of high school. I remember nothing about it. Well, uh, congratulations. Here's a boron fact. It's blue. But yeah, it's just another large gem amongst all these other large gems. And I thought maybe, maybe if I knew some of the historical context of the Hope Diamond, it might be more interesting because it does have all of the elements of most of the stories we do on Will This Be On The Test. The curse is bonks. 
It's a treasure. It was in France. It was stolen. There is, uh, it's an important scientific discovery on top of all of that. And again, it's cursed. It is so cursed. And so, first of all, let's get this out of the way, because there's a long timeline with this that's kind of important if I want to talk about the curse. So we're going to plan fly through this timeline. Uh, the Hope Diamond was originally about 112 carats when it was uncut. How many pigeon eggs is that? Uh, Three. Three pigeon eggs. Are you baking that up? No, because 112, it was like 40-something. Oh, maybe like two and a half pigeon eggs. So it's a. it was bigger when it was uncut, but when you cut diamonds, they get smaller. I know. What? Yeah. And it was probably mined in India. It's like, we don't know for sure. The first like real history we have of it was when it was purchased by Jean-Baptiste Taverner in 1666. Uh, he sold the gem along with a bunch of other gems to King Louis XIV of France in 1668 for the ridiculous sum of 220,000 livres, which was about 324 pounds of gold or uh, using the current value of gold, $8.8 billion. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That was in 1600s? Yeah. So that's that's a lot of that's a lot of gold. Yeah. Uh the that di- might that might actually be noticeable by Jeff Bezos even. Yeah. The diamond was cut and it was used in like several different pieces of jewelry. The final thing that the French royalty used it in was something called the golden fleece. And they called the diamond the French blue because it was blue and France bought it. And it was just a royal pendant with just so many other gems. And it was really only used for like certain ceremonies. It wasn't like a daily wear piece. So yeah, it was there. And it was there. The end. Yeah. And then the French Revolution happened. And during that, it was stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the royal family actually tried to flee with their jewels, but they got stopped and they confiscated all of them and it was put in a storehouse. And during the reign of terror, uh, there was a week long just looting of that area and the golden fleece went missing during that time. Uh, many other stolen dra- gems were recovered, but not the French blue. Yeah. After the theft, the diamond actually got recut to try and disguise it because this was large and famous. They thought, well, maybe if we cut it so it looks a little different, they won't realize that this colossal diamond is this blue colossal diamond is this missing blue colossal diamond it's just a different diamond uh but they fucked it up they cut about 23 carats off of the diamond and they messed up the luster nice yeah um actually and we know for a fact that the hope diamond is this french blue now because the smithsonian and the french museum of natural history uh were able to reconstruct the french blue using uh computer assisted drafting or cad Mm -hmm. to determine that these cuts and this french diamond it's like yeah this was the same piece just based entirely on that. They used math to prove that this was that diamond. So, pretty cool. And then we lost track of this diamond for about 20 years. We know for sure that it shows up in 1812 in England, which was, by the way, it was after the statute of limitations on the theft. So, like, they could, like, no one could do anything to try and reclaim it. It's like, nope. I hate statutes of limitations. Statute of limitations is over. There were rumors that King George IV was the person who purchased it and had it. But then there's also rumors that his mistress uh, stole it and sold it. Or that he was in such debt that he had to secretly liquidate some assets, including this diamond that nobody knew he had. So. It's like that. Uh, But anyway, at that point, it was bought by Thomas Thomas Hope, which is how we got to be known as the Hope Diamond. He paid uh, between 65 to 90,000 pounds for it, which is about one point four to one point nine million dollars in day money. He was a wealthy London banker. And yeah, it showed we know he bought it because it showed up in a published catalog of his gem collection. Um, He would like bring it to big society events and it was displayed at a few 
exhibits in the 1850s, but it mostly stayed in the Hopes family's bank vault. Then, when he died, there was a decade-long inheritance fight over this diamond and several other of his, like, of his wealth. His descendant, Lord Francis Hope, eventually won, but the courts determined that he could not sell the, like, the, the principles of this wealth without the court's permission, which sucked because he wanted to sell this diamond because he was broke as hell. He had an internationally famous uh, pop star for a wife, like the like the 1850 version of pop star. Uh-huh. She was a famous singer and they had a very extravagant lifestyle that was bankrupting them. So after actually declaring real bankruptcy, uh, the courts allowed him to sell the diamond in 1901. Uh, and this is when it made it to America, where someone, a diamond seller, reportedly paid $250,000 for it. $7.7 million today. A little bit less than it went for originally. Yeah, a little bit less. And again, the diamond merchant then resold it for $400,000 or $11 million in 1907 to the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire to settle some debts. Mm-hmm. Then the Sultan uh, sold it to settle some debts in 1909 because he was broke, but he only got $80,000 for it, or about $2.2 million. So it's like he, he, he got screwed. Then it made it back to France, where Pierre Cartier tried to sell it to a Washington, D.C. socialite. So Cartier is in the jewelry company? Yeah. Uh, Evelyn Walsh McLean. Uh, she was He managed to entice her with stories about this diamond's history and all these tales, and she rejected his first offer. So then he had it reset in a more modern style so it wouldn't look quite as old-fashioned as it was, because, you know, it was... At this point, it was like 100 years old. It had been the same setting for a while. It's like, let's... Let's freshen this up a bit. And then she said, no, 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 I'm not interested in this because she was wary of all of the ill fortune surrounding the stone because it was cursed. Yep. So let's talk about this curse. I'm ready. Okay. The legend begins that a greedy priest stole the eye out of a statue of a Hindu god mm-hmm. and then sold it and then has put to death uh, a variety of truly brutal ways, depending on who's telling the story. Uh, then Taverner, the first person who pur- purchased it, was torn apart by wild dogs in Istanbul. Now, how much of this is verified and how much is not? I'm going to get to it. Okay. Then, of course, you know, the you know exactly what happened to all of the French nobility who had ever worn it or seen it. Like, they were all beheaded. beheaded. Be- they were all beheaded? They were all beheaded in the reign of terror, and they all died just in this revolution. Then there's just all these accounts of people, like, going broke with it. People, like, lost their fortunes after acquiring this diamond. Yeah, actually, we do have that verified at yeah. least a few times the so far. The thieves that stole it were, by various accounts, either arrested murdered or died of diseases the thieves com- were arrested or a combo of all three the jeweler that recut it and fucked it up was murdered by his son well the alleged guy who tied it up but like the, he was murdered by his son and then his son killed himself immediately after murdering his father so it's a murder suicide murder suicide that'd be an easier way to say that then there was a guy, a Greek diamond merchant who sold it to the, who sold it to some people in Turkey, was actually thrown off of a cliff with his wife and child. Oh, God. Then there, you know, again, this long history of death, imprisonment, financial ruin, and tragedy associated with this diamond. And it's largely fiction. Uh, I don't believe you. The first accounts of there being a curse were from 1888 in a New Zealand newspaper. And? Uh, you see, they claim that it was stolen out of this idol. There is no basis, in fact, to that. It's We have no idea where it came from, but it probably wasn't stolen out of an idol. Well, if we have no idea where it came from, we can't say it didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, we can't say it didn't happen. And also, 
in the year 1886, the best-selling novel was Wilkie Collins's Moonstone, mm-hmm. which was about a valuable gem stolen from a temple that was allegedly cursed. Wilkie Collins also wrote the oh god, the Woman in Black. The it made the yeah. it was the movie that Daniel Radcliffe was in later. Yeah. So people in papers were excited to talk about other things, a real life Moonstone. So kind of like how when the Da Vinci Code came out, everyone was talking about the real Da Vinci Code and all of these things that were in Da Vinci's artwork because it was associated with a best-selling novel. So, I love me a good mystery novel. I hated every second uh, of Da Vinci. Okay, so a- I read the illustrated edition, which I gather is not as good. Yeah. Um. It was. I think I read it in like half an hour. And it was it was you read it in half an hour. It's basically nothing. The book took me eight hours to read and I read at double your speed. This was like this is a I might be exaggerating a little bit, but this was like a like one or two settings book. Just like boom, flew through it. It's an airport read. Yes, I read it during an eight hour layover at an airport. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a lot of the stuff about the curse. It's probably just related to there being a famous book about a cursed gem. Uh, Marie Antoinette probably never wore the stone because it was only used in certain ceremonies and usually just kept in a vault. So all of these French nobility that they say wore it or she loaned it to them. There is no account that it was ever actually loaned out to anybody. It was only used during like very official state ceremonies by the king. Why are you ruining this for me? Uh, and also, uh, you know, Taverner, the guy I said, said was torn about by torn apart by dogs in Turkey. Well, actually, he died at the age of 84 in his house. But did his dog eat him afterwards? No. So if a pack of wild dogs did manage to eat him, that was pretty impressive. They managed to break into his house and eat him. And of course, there's also these tragedies listed to it that are of just fictional people. There is no proof that these people who died or were murdered or had it and like all this stuff happened to them. There's so many accounts that aren't attributable to any actual person. Austin likes to ruin things for me. I recently listened to a podcast about this curse and they said yeah. it was all true. And then the financial ruin associated with the diamond um, all happened around times of recession and depression. Yeah, that part they actually did say like that. that Where people sense. all over the diamond industry and royalty and people in their life styles were suffer- suffering financially. Are you saying at these times every kiss did not begin with K? Nope, it did not. And there's even some speculation that the rumors about the curse were started by the diamond sellers as a way to publicize the diamond and drive up the cost or that the McLeans themselves were trying to publicize these rumors and talk about, oh, I don't want to buy it because it's cursed to for when they did buy it, it'd be more famous that they actually had this diamond and more people would know that they had it. It's kind of like how places advertise their hotels as haunted. Yeah. Now a- I get like, I think some hotels that are truly haunted do advertise it that way. Like the Lizzie, the Lizzie Borden Inn is being sold. Like not just her new house, like after, not new, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But the inn itself is now being sold. They're saying it's because they want to move on to new opportunities. But my guess it's because it's COVID. Yeah. Also, why are we not jumping on this and making it a new business? Okay. Um, I'm launching a Patreon once this episode launches. A GoFundMe a so go we can me. raise several million dollars. A GoFundMe. I need a few million dollars to buy a haunted bed and breakfast. You will not convince me that place is not haunted. Yeah. Although I would stay there. I would not stay in the Cecil Hotel. But, you know, curse or not, the McLeans uh, did buy the diamond. They paid about $300,000 for it or $8.2 million in today money. And they actually had a lot of fun with this diamond. They would let their kids just play with it. They would uh, pretend to misplace it and lose it at parties and say, have all our guests, oh no, we lost the Hope Diamond. Let's all go look for it, gang. This one time when I was a kid, we were playing a game like that, but it was with a pumpkin. Like it was Halloween time. So we were playing like hide the pumpkin and I hid the pumpkin and I forgot where said pumpkin was. We found it about two months later. 
Oh, no. Behind my mom's living room couch, not the family room couch. <gasps> That's the nice couch. The nice couch. The oh. one that was my, col- my college uh, apartment. Remember that? Yeah. And remember how nice it that was? was a nice couch. I mean, it was grody by then because it was old, but. I mean, it, yeah, had, gone, um, it had gone through you it and had your gone, brother. It had, no, no. We were very good about this because we were never not allowed in the room. My mom was very adamant that if you have kids, no rooms are off limits. But it was when you were in this room, you do not put your feet on the couch. You do not goof off. Because um, we also had a lot of stuff from my mom lived in Asia in there. But I hid it behind that couch. And we got old pumpkin on the couch and on the floor. You monster. But at least it wasn't a diamond. And they'd also have the dog like wear it like a collar. I do. I remember this. But that was just for show. They actually had security with the diamond at all times. Like multiple security guards with it whenever it was outside of the vault. And when they were transporting it to and from the vault, they actually had a specifically bought car to move it safely. Mm-hmm. So they were not actually fucking around with this diamond. They just wanted it to look like they were fucking around with this diamond. That sounds like fun. And you know how I mentioned that there wasn't actually a curse and it was all fake? Well, um, after purchasing the diamond, um, Evelyn McLean had a string of very bad luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, her mother-in-law died shortly after purchasing it. Her son died at age nine. Mm. Her husband left her for another woman. Oh, no. And then he went insane and died in an ins- asylum. What kind of insane? They didn't mention. Oh. Uh, her daughter died of a drug overdose at age 25. What years are we talking about here? This was uh, a turn, like... Early like, 1900s? Early 1900s. Um, then she went broke and ended up having to sell the Washington Post. Oh, okay. And then, uh, but accordingly, she died broke. But in this case, it's like she died rich people broke. Mm-hmm. So she had, uh, she just had like basic means and wasn't able to be like a extravagant mogul doing whatever she wanted on a whim. Yeah. So, you know, just like, you know, only a couple of houses and very few servants. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of broke, not actual broke. Mm-hmm. So then uh, after her, Harry Winston was the next owner. Uh, he had it recut to increase the brilliance. So it got even smaller. Who is Harry Winston? The next owner. <laughs> you don't yeah. know anything about him? He was just a, he was a rich guy from Washington, D.C. I was kind of wondering if he owned the cigarette company. I don't know if the I cigarettes are still around, but. Yeah. But then in 1958, the Smithsonian mineralogist, George Schweitzer, uh, actually managed to talk Winston into donating the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian. Don't know how he did it, but holy shit, that's impressive. Kudos. Tax break. Okay, but do you want to hear how Winston sent it to the Smithsonian? Sure. He mailed it via the post office. Yeah. For $2.44 in postage. Didn't put any insurance on it? He insured it for $1 million, which cost him about 140 bucks uh-huh. to insure it. So yeah, he just mailed it to the Smithsonian in a plain envelope. And it made it there safely because the post office is awesome. Yeah, the post office is amazing. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. But this is also where the curse claims its last victim so far. The postal worker? The postal worker, uh, shortly after delivering it, his leg was crushed by a truck. Ugh. Now, according to the Smithsonian, the curse is dormant, and really the diamond has been more of a boon than anything. Yeah. Because the exhibit and the fact that they had had this donated to them helped draw more donations to their gem collection. Maybe the diamond likes that it's finally getting some respect and attention. Yeah. Like, it's out there, people are looking Mm -hmm. at it. It's being, it be, it's being you know, really well cared for. Yeah. Um, people come to see it because it is an attraction. Like, oh, let's go see the Hope Diamond. And then they'll wait in line and bore their children because they're done with geology I, facts. Okay. You and I went there at the same time. I didn't have to wait in a line. I had to wait in a line. I didn't wait in a line. Oh, my God. It was like, it was a line. And we're just like slowly going through the mineralogy section. I was just reading like the displays as we went by. And I finally just got to kind of like trudge by the Hope Diamond and look at it. Yeah. It was just kind of, it was crowded. But yeah. People were just kind of milling. Yeah. 
There was a lion. And uh, it has even had scientific value. I was talking about this. Because of its colossal size, uh, we were able to get new insights into how diamonds are formed deep beneath the Earth's surface. So we learned a little bit more about diamonds because of just how large it is. And the Smithsonian says, it's been great for this, but we've had even more scientific discoveries off of it than anything else. So it's been in like a scientific institution and they've finally learned something from this amazing specimen. So yeah, that was the Hope Diamond. And... It's curse is real and you will not change my mind. Is it cur- just, just like you refuse to believe in science when it comes to bathing, I refuse to believe there is no curse. So it, yeah, I don't think it's cursed. It's like maybe like Would you would you own it to prove that? You don't absolutely. get to, you do not get to sell it. Oh no, no, I would you not. You do not get to be famous um, for this. I would not own it cuz someone would just kill me and steal it. Like I am It's me. She yeah, it's her. And it's like and this cur- I didn't even the curse was kind of like it's like oh no all of these rich socialites lost some money the horror and it's like is we're it- really ragging on rich people this episode oh, and, like, we always are we're eat jealous. the rich we're so yeah is it mysterious kind of but it's really just like a lot of the seriousness was just publicity and did having the background on the hope diamond make it more interesting for me no it was fun but like I don't want to go back and look at it again knowing full well the long history of this diamond. It's just... See, I don't want to go back and look at it again because it's a shiny rock. Yeah, it's it's a important shiny rock. But at the end of the day, it's like, I am not invested in this diamond enough to want to go look at it. If you were invested in this diamond, we'd have a lot more money. Oh, man. And plus, I mean, you all know that diamond's value is artificially inflated. Yes. I'm actually going to talk about all of that on a future episode. Not Ooh. diamond specifically, just kind of how that this wedding stuff came to be. Uh, so, yeah. So I think I kind of struck out this week. It's like, the curse, not real. I would also like to say, he is sitting here saying, this is boring, I struck out this week. He had this ready to go last week. He had plenty of time. Yeah, I had plenty of time. But I already researched it. So it's like, we're going to do this. He also, we also got a Nintendo Switch this week, so he has not done anything else, including bathing, like we talked about earlier. You don't bathe. Hey, hey, I took a shower. What day is it? Sunday. Oh, okay. Maybe you're right. So are you ready for questions? Yes. All right. Will the fact that the Hope Diamond used to be way bigger be on the test? Yeah. Will the fact that it Where was, is the rest of it? Uh, It's probably just in other pieces. Just we don't know where the fuck is. Is there a way to like DNA? Yeah, I guess DNA test in a way to find out if it's the same diamond. I mean, you could probably figure out if it came from the same mind or the same area, but probably not from the same individual diamond. Can you imagine there's somebody just out there walking around with like a necklace that's got part of the Hope Diamond on it? Yeah. A little tiara or some shit. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, will the fact that it was stolen from the French be on the test? Yeah. Uh, will the fact that it probably isn't cursed be on the test? They won't talk about the curse at all because they like to be wrong. And will the fact that they just mailed it to the Smithsonian be on the test? Yes, because that is excellent press for the post Dude, office. Yeah, I mean, like people are giving the post office shit for like move, losing packages they right now. They are killing it. They do an amazing job with shockingly little resources to a very large country and even like... And you can send something from New York to Hawaii for the same cost as you can from New York to down the block. Yeah, it's impressive. This does. This actually is something that's not real in other countries. There is yeah. no flat fee. It's based on distance yeah. in most and, or all other places. And like other countries, like when they complain about America, they say, yeah, but your post office, you got it right. Yes. So we should yes. be better about like respecting our post office. Yeah, they are fantastic. We love them. And like a few weeks ago, got a couple months ago now. I had a package get lost, and it turned out at some point the label had gotten destroyed, and somehow they figured out it was mine. Someone put a post-it note with my information on it at the post, at like somewhere in the postal service, taped it on, and it made it to me. I had already put in like a like insurance claim on it, 
And like they got it to me with a little green post-it note. Yeah. So yeah, post office. That's amazing. Yeah, UPS and FedEx have lost several of my packages over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, USPS, maybe one. Yeah, yeah, that was my that was my thing on the Hope Diamond. And it turned into us saying how much we love the post office. Yeah, because we do. Post, hey, post office, you're the real diamond here. I hate you. As you should. We've been quarantined together for a year now. It's just rage. God, it is almost a year. We are eleven months in right now. Ugh. And it is Valentine's Day as we record this. Hey, we are gonna uh, we are having the most romantic Valentine's Day ever. Uh, we're eating sliders, and we're going to watch... We've, the... we've changed our mind a few times on what we're going to watch. I think the last thing we decided on was the Britney Spears documentary. Yeah, in years past, we've always had some kind of competition about who can find the worst romantic movie. Uh, I had a, tw- I have a Facebook post from four, three years ago. I don't remember how long. We watched... But she... it was... It was um, you know that whole thing about if you give enough monkeys, enough typewriters, and enough time, they'll write. They'll end up writing Hamlet? I think Gili was their first attempt. <laughs> Oh god, that movie was bad. And I watched that one that had uh the Backstreet Boys in it. They're not in sync. A couple of in sync members in a weird rom com. I don't remember that one. Oh. And then last year it was Christian Mingle. God, that was the worst. Because last year's competition was who can sit through the most of m- the majority of these movies without leaving the room. And that is where Austin discovered his love of Hallmark movies. They were so good. Like Christian Mingle is not one of them. No, Christian Mingle was bad. And my queen, Lacey Chabert, that's like the one time she's let me down. She was fine. The movie was bad. Yes. And if you do enjoy Hallmark movies like we do, we do have part of our uh, website. It's called 10 Days of Chabert Miss. It's from back when we watched uh, a bunch of Hall- of uh, Hallmark holiday movies. Or Hallmark style holiday movies. Yes. I think one or two weren't. Yes. So if you that stuff interests you, go read that. We really should start up our movie blog that we've been talking yeah. about. We are lazy, lazy people. Oh, it, that was a lot of work. It wasn't. It, but we, it was also a lot of fun. It was a lot of work because we did it in a short time. Yeah. If we had one a month. Yeah, I think we could do that. Let's keep discussing our business plans on the podcast. Yeah. So I guess if there's a movie you want us to watch and then write our thoughts about. As we watch as it. As we watch it. Yeah. we like, Let us know. Um, Don't go with anything too serious for that. Like. We might use series movies actually. Yeah, like don't for do stuff. like don't do like Hotel Rwanda. <laughs> no, give like, us ridiculous things. Give us for like this. something like Sharknado Five: Hail to the Shark, or like '90s teen movies. We love us some '90s. Oh God, we we watched Josie and the Pussycats not long ago. That was shockingly good. It wasn't shockingly good. It was just good. Like I did not expect the movie based on the third most famous Archie comic to be that good. Everything about that movie was solid. It's got really good actors in it. Like, you can't go wrong with it. No. It was, And it felt a lot like Spice World. Yeah, it did. And it had Alan Cumming in both of them. Yeah. Oh, he's just, he's the, he's our th- he's the through line. He's the, he's the bridge between worlds. Mm-hmm. So where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, and our website, OnTheTestPod.com. Our Twitter account is the easiest way to reach us because I spend a lot of time just scrolling through it. And when Masked Singer is on, I live tweet Masked Singer. Also, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell like tell anybody you want to tell who you think might enjoy us because it really is a big help. The numbers going up 
the number of reviews. It's all very helpful. Yeah, true. I mean, unless yeah, we, you're going to be mean, in which case don't do it. We did have our most controversial episode ever in which our tweet about it did get taken down. It was the Rebecca Harkness episode. Yeah. Um, our tweet about it got taken down. I've actually, I actually tweeted at Twitter support today to see what happened because I didn't get any kind of message. And there was nothing inappropriate in the tweet or even really in the episode that it was yeah. just a history episode. So we don't know what happened there. Um, so I guess, I you know, I guess we're sparking some controversy. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe Twitter, tw- Taylor Swift noticed us. Maybe the Harkness Foundation came after us. I mean, this is all public information. Yeah. And we didn't say anything bad about the Harkness Foundation. No. They yeah. look like they do good work. They do. I really am hungry and I want to eat some sliders. Let's go do that. So uh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. And if you don't like Valentine's Day, just like we don't like Valentine's Day, happy half price candy day. Of course, by mm-hmm. the time you hear this, that's over. So uh, yeah, you're just kind of screwed at that point. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it's uh, have a February. Have a February. And on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.